Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth, Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss the son, kiss his son, or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Friends, you are more than a collection of atoms and molecules. There is a part of you that has no color, no weight, no smell, but is no less real than the rest of you. I'm talking about your soul, the part of you that transcends the physical, the part of you that is eternal, that craves communion with your creator. There's not a whole lot in the modern world that encourages us to tend our souls, but we have We are a soul. And the ancients paid extra close attention to the life of the soul. Today we're embarking on a journey to tend and enlarge our souls by understanding and immersing ourselves in the book of Psalms. Our goal today will be to provide kind of a basic orientation to the book as a whole and then zoom in on the first two Psalms, which actually serve as an introduction to the rest of the book. So what are the Psalms? Well, the Psalms are a collection of 150 prayers that are actually poems. They are verbal art. They're songs that are meant to be sung. And they were written to engage our whole being, our our heart, soul, mind, and strength in communion with God and with one another. 73 of these Psalms are attributed to King David, Israel's king who lived and reigned about 3,000 years ago, but others contributed as well. 
Uh, there's tremendous variety within the Psalms. Athanasius, one of the early church fathers, said, and I'll paraphrase just a little, he says, whatever your need, whatever your trouble, there is a psalm that not only captures what you're going through, but guides you into God's presence through it. And so you'll find psalms that express gladness and grief, loneliness and love, confidence and despair, gratitude and fear. There are psalms that were written for weddings, coronations, national crises, days of remembrance. Every situation in life is represented in the psalms. One author wrote, the psalms take us deep into our own hearts a thousand times faster than we would ever go on our own. Instead of denying and suppressing our emotions or venting our emotions, the psalmists teach us to pray our emotions, to bring our whole selves before God, often in, in very raw and very authentic ways. For instance, I am worn out from my groaning, says one psalmist. Or, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Psalms help us to see God, not as we want him to be, but as he actually is. The God that we meet in the Psalms is so much more wise and fearsome and tender and loving than we could ever imagine him to be. Often, we try to make God into our own image and likeness. Or we try to shrink God down to someone that we can understand and manage. But the Psalms bring us in touch with a God who is beyond human invention, a God who judges nations and yet is a refuge and a fortress, a God who holds the depths of the earth in his hands and yet raises the poor out of the dust, a God who hears our weeping and collects our tears in his bottle. We know that Jesus prayed the Psalms. He almost certainly had them memorized. Yes, all 150. Uh, he would have sung the songs of ascent on his way up to Jerusalem to celebrate feasts and festivals. He would have sung the great Hallel Psalms when he celebrated the Passover. In the four Gospels, Jesus quotes the Psalms more than any other book by far. He praised them on many occasions, including when he's on the cross. One common misconception people have about the Psalms is that it's, it's just a hymnal. It's just a bunch of songs kind of conveniently bound together, each one numbered for easy reference. Uh, but actually, the book of Psalms is highly stylized and very deliberately arranged. Martin Luther calls it a miniature Bible because it provides a comprehensive overview of the entire story of, of Scripture, from creation to the giving of the law at Sinai to the construction of the tabernacle and later the temple through Israel's exile. And finally, it points all the way forward to Israel's Messiah and God making all things new. All that in a single book. The Psalms, as the video said, are a virtual temple. They are a place to encounter and experience God, to gaze upon his face, to meditate on who he is and what he's done to gain his perspective on history and the victories and tragedies of our lives, and then to respond to him with our entire being. Ultimately, the purpose of the Psalms is to shape us more and more into God's image. Brian Zahn says that the primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what we think God ought to do, 
but to be properly formed. In other words, to become who God created us to be. As we immerse ourselves in the Psalms, we learn to do exactly what the psalmist did. We learn to commit ourselves to God through our vows and promises. We learn to depend on God through petitions, to seek comfort and deliverance from God through lament and complaint. We find mercy in God through confession and repentance. We gain wisdom and perspective by remembering and reflecting on what he's done. We gain hope for the future and courage for the present by meditating on God's promises to us. So we go to the Psalms to know God and to bring our entire selves, our whole selves, our true selves before him in radical dependence and transparency and vulnerability and trust. And as we encounter God in the Psalms, our imaginations are reshaped by his story, by his reality. And our souls are enlarged. To be honest, sometimes my prayers become dull and flat. Over time, all the juice gets squeezed out of them, right? They start to sound the same. Does that ever happen to you? Do, you ever, do your prayers ever feel stale, rote? The Psalms can lift us out of our rut. They can lift us out of our limited experiences and our limited vocabularies, our limited ways of talking to God. They help us to see more of God, more of what's in our own souls. They awaken us to the depth and the breadth of the spiritual experiences of people throughout history. God is so much bigger than our experience of him. The journey of faith is so much larger, larger than the path that we have trod. And the Psalms invite us into that more, into that spaciousness and expansiveness. So who's ready to go deeper? Let's do it, all right. Psalms 1 and 2 serve as the introduction of the book. Psalm 1 answers the question, who are the Psalms for? And Psalm 2 answers the question, who does this book point to? Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm that shows us how life works best. It presents us with a contrast. Two different ways, two different life paths, and then two very different destinations, depending on which way we go. It begins, blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. We, who we associate with has a powerful effect on our lives, amen? Notice the progression here. Walking with the wicked, standing with sinners, sitting with mockers. The psalm is inviting us to imagine a gradual descent into evil. Someone who is choosing over and over again to associate and identify with those who defy God and his ways. Over time, they become more and more cynical, more and more hardened against God to the point that they begin to ridicule those who are devoted to him. By contrast, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. And the word for law here is Torah. It's the first five books of the Bible. Only a, a small part of the Torah is actually law. 
Uh, most of it is the story of how God redeemed his people and entered into a relationship with them. So to delight in the Torah, to delight in the law of the Lord is to value what God has done for you and to value the way of life that he has opened up for you because he has redeemed you. The one who delights in the law of the Lord trusts God and obeys him, not because they have to, but because they want to. Because knowing and walking with God is a source of great joy and security and peace. This isn't legalism. This isn't reluctant, half-hearted obedience. This is joyful, childlike dependence. Over Christmas, we get to see my brother Ryan and his family. Um, here's my nephew Easton, who just turned two and a half. A little heartbreaker there. Easton is mini Ryan. Um, he just delights in his dad so much. He wants to be with his dad every waking moment of his life. If others want to join in, that's fine, as long as they know that to Easton, they are superfluous. Because if daddy is there, Easton has everything that he needs. He has so much joy in his father. And he moves through his day with this expectant look on his face that says, What's next, Daddy? I bet it's going to be so much fun. Who is blessed? The one who relates to God the way that Easton relates to his dad. That person is like a tree planted near streams of water, yielding its fruit each season. A leaf does not wither. Everything they do prospers. What a beautiful metaphor. Not only of fruitfulness, but of resilience. A tree that's planted near a stream can survive anything. It can survive even a drought. Such a tree is like a child with a healthy attachment to a loving parent. Because Easton is secure in his father's love, he's able to move through the world without any anxiety or fear. He can approach new people, new situations, new experiences with confidence because he knows that he has his father's love. The opposite of a tree planted by a stream is the dried out husk of a head of wheat. There's no life in it. It has no weight, no substance, no sap. So forget a drought, just the stiff wind can send it flying through the air. So Psalm 1 gives us two paths, two ways to live, two destinations. One is a life of healthy attachment and delight. I trust God. I trust him to show me how life works best. And the other is a life that's cut off from the source of all joy and security and wisdom and peace. A voice that says, I trust myself. And I resent anyone who tries to tell me what to do. I wonder which path you are on. Why do the Psalms begin here? Well, they begin here to show us that the Psalms are written for those who delight in God and who meditate on his word. The Psalms are, are not, you know, an emotional pick-me-up. They're not spiritual fast food. They are a feast that we savor over time. They are poems, remember, they're songs, meditations designed to be sung and prayed over and over again by those who earnestly seek God and make their home in him, who place their hands inside of God's hand and say, 
What's next, Papa? They will be like a well-watered tree, deeply rooted, strong, secure, resilient, fruitful. All right, what about Psalm 2? Well, Psalm 1, if Psalm 1 answers the question, who is this book for? Psalm 2 answers the question, who is this book all about? Who does it point to? Psalm 2 is a royal psalm. According to the book of Acts, it was written by David, but it's not, it's not about David. It's about a different king, a future king. God once made a, a promise to David that his house and his kingdom would never end, and his throne would be established forever. And Psalm 2 is David's meditation on that promise. Like Psalm 1, Psalm 2 presents us with a contrast between those who conspire against God and his anointed king and those who take refuge in him, between the arrogant who reject God's authority and the humble who submit to it. Psalm 2 assumes, uh, sorry, Psalm 2 assures God's people that even when the enemy is triumphing, even when evil seems to have the upper hand, God's purposes will ultimately prevail through his anointed king, the Messiah. So Psalm 1 shows us how we can become righteous. Psalm 2 shows us who is righteous. Psalm 1 shows us how we are formed. Psalm 2 shows us into whose image we are being formed. So much of the meaning and the purpose of the Psalms will be lost on us if we just kind of hunt and peck our way through them, searching for Psalms to help us, you know, manage our mood that day. But as we immerse ourselves in the entire book, as we pray these prayers over and over again, we will begin to notice some recurring themes. That God reveals himself and he works salvation through his king. That all of Israel's hopes are bound up in this king who will one day rule over not just Israel, but the whole world. So imagine you're in exile. The nations are literally raging and conspiring against the Lord and his anointed. Imagine the fear, the anxiety that would grip you, the uncertainty and the terror that you would feel, and then you hear Psalm 2. And while the nations are raging and conspiring, God is laughing. He's not worried. He's not panicking. He is in complete control. He has a plan. He has an ace up his sleeve. Israel's story is far from over. The line of kings will be remade, and God will give the nations to his son. And therefore, even in exile, even in the pit, you can hope. You can continue to delight in God's law and meditate on it day and night, even while your captors mock you and deride you. Because you are confident in your salvation. You know that your king will come and he will set things right. When the first Christians were being persecuted, they encouraged each other with this psalm, Psalm 2. And as a result, they were able to follow Jesus with even more boldness than they did before they got in trouble. The message of Psalm 1 and 2 is that the psalms are the prayer book of God's people who are striving to be faithful to him and to his word while we wait for the Messiah and his kingdom 
to come in full. The Psalms contain five books. Book one meditates on God's covenant faithfulness and David's faithfulness to God. Book two explores David's hope for a future temple and a future king. Book three reflects on God's promises in light of the exile, which was a massive crisis. Book four picks up after the exile and asks, now how will God bring about his kingdom? And then book five establishes that God will send his king to reign over all the earth. Very cool book. Very cool arrangement. The Psalms are an incredible gift to us for many reasons. They show us, first of all, that we can be honest with God all the time. If we're feeling depressed, even if we're angry with God, we don't have to stop praying. We don't have to stop the conversation. We can lament. We can complain. We can stamp our feet and shake our fists at heaven. We can remind God of his promises and boldly ask him for what we need. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're feeling, God can take it. You don't have to pretend like everything's fine. You don't have to be polite even. You can bring your true self to God raw and uncensored. The Psalms teach us to pray relationally. Sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes we just pray our lists, right? God, help this person, help that person, and resolve this part of my life and that part of my life, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. God invites us to bring him our needs, to present our petitions to him. But the Psalms teach us to pray more than just our lists. They teach us how to say, I love you. I'm sorry. Help me. Thank you. I'm hurting. Guide me. The Psalms help us to cultivate empathy and solidarity with others. They remind us that others are hurting even if we're not. That others are thankful and exuberant with praise even if we're not. One of the ways that we love one another is by rejoicing with those who rejoice and by weeping with those who weep, right? And the Psalms invite us to pray in solidarity with people whose experiences might be really different from our own. The Psalms remind us to reflect on what God has done in the past, right? There are entire Psalms that just retell the story of what God has done in the past so that we won't forget, especially when life is dark. And God feels far away. We need to remember. The Psalms prepare us for future seasons. You may not know what it's like to cry out to God in desperation from the depths, but someday you'll need to. And when that day comes, you'll be ready. You'll have a permission structure. You'll have a vocabulary, right, for that kind of prayer. It will already be in your bones. The Psalms remind us to, to hold fast to God's promises. Even, even the complaint Psalms do this, right? They say, God, don't abandon me. You said you would be faithful to me. You said that if I cried out, you would hear me and you would answer my cry. You said that your anointed one would never be put to shame. You said that you would save us. So we can pray God's promises right back to him. Finally, the Psalms help us to deepen our intimacy with Jesus. There's this mysterious tension in the Psalms. Diedrich Bonhoeffer captures it really well. It's a long quote, but, but stick with me. It's worth it. Here's what he says. The Holy Scripture is the word of God to us. But prayers are the words of people to God. 
So how do prayers get into the Bible? Let us make no mistake about it. The Bible is the word of God, even in the Psalms. Then are these prayers to God also God's own word? That seems rather difficult to understand. We grasp it only when we remember that we can learn true prayer. Um, I'm going to need your help advancing these, uh, these slides here. We grasp it only when we remember that we can learn true prayer only from Jesus Christ, from the word of the Son of God who lives with us, to God the Father who lives in eternity. Jesus Christ has brought every need, every joy, every gratitude, every hope of people before God. In his mouth, the word of man becomes the word of God. And if we pray his prayers with him, the word of God becomes once again the word of man. All prayers of the Bible are such prayers which we pray together with Jesus Christ, in which he accompanies us and through which he brings us into the presence of God. Otherwise, there are no true prayers, for only in and with Jesus Christ can we truly pray. If we want to read and to pray the prayers of the Bible, and especially the Psalms, therefore, we must not ask first what they have to do with us, but what they have to do with Jesus. We must ask how we can understand the Psalms as God's word, and then we shall be able to pray them. It does not depend, therefore, on whether the Psalms express adequately that that which we feel at a given moment in our heart. If we are to pray aright, perhaps it is quite necessary that we pray contrary to our own heart. Not what we want to pray is important, but what God wants us to pray. If we were dependent entirely on ourselves, we would probably pray only the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. But God wants it otherwise. The richness of the word of God ought to determine our prayer, not the poverty of our hearts. Through the Psalms, We learn to pray with Jesus, and we learn to pray like Jesus. We learn to be honest with our Father. We learn to trust Him and rest in Him. The primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what we think God ought to do, but to be properly formed, to become like Jesus. Take out your bulletin. Inside of your bulletin today is, is, the, uh, is the daily scripture readings, which going forward this winter will be almost entirely uh, from the Psalms. Each Sunday for the next several weeks, we're going to examine a different kind of psalm. Remember, there are all different kinds of, of prayers in this book. And then each day after that, Monday through Saturday, uh, you're invited to hunker down with one of those kinds of psalms. Uh, You can read them, you can pray them, you can sing them. You can do this first thing in the morning before you go to bed or whenever you can carve out time. If you miss a day, don't sweat it, don't beat yourself up. God's mercies are new every morning. On the flip side of that same piece of paper are four questions that you can use to help you reflect on the Psalms. What part of the human experience does the Psalm give voice to? What prompted the prayer? In other words, what's going on in the psalmist's life? What's the situation? 
What part of God's character or God's action does the psalmist praise or appeal to or depend on? How might this psalm help us to worship or pray? How can we praise God on the basis of this psalm? How can we confess our sins or give thanks or ask for help on the basis of this psalm? And then finally, how or when might Jesus have prayed this psalm? In what ways does it point to him? So you are invited to immerse yourself in these ancient songs, these ancient prayers, and to let them form and deepen you and enlarge your soul. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of these inspired prayers. May they teach us how to pray, how to come before you, how to seek you in every circumstance. Thank you that Jesus, who prayed these very prayers, teaches us how to pray and invites us into deeper communion with you uh, through the Psalms. Use them, use this season uh, to enlarge our faith, to enlarge our compassion, and to enlarge our souls for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing.